Welcome back to the Snowmobile Podcast. This is your host, Gord Van. Today, uh, we're going to have another legendary uh, snowmobile racer, uh, snow pro racer, uh, by the name of uh, Bud Bennett. Bud Bennett is a, a phenomenal racer. He uh, raced uh, with the Manta Twin Tracks. Uh, you may have uh, seen them. They, they, they didn't make uh, very many appearances, uh, but uh, they had some good results. And uh, today's uh, uh, interview was conducted by Hal Armstrong from Snowgore Canada Magazine and uh, Snowbear Television. And uh, Hal does uh, the uh, articles uh, called Time Machines in, uh, in Snowgore Canada Magazine. And uh, so Hal uh, uh, contacted uh, Bud and uh, they had a great conversation about uh, the Manta Twin Tracks uh, and also what uh, Bud is doing now. So I uh, hope you enjoy this and uh, here we go. On the line with me today is uh, Hal Armstrong. Hal, uh, talk to us about uh, uh, Bud Bennett. Uh, well, Bud Bennett was uh, was a one of these fellows in the '60s that was uh, big into karting, and karting was uh, uh, a big uh, motorsport in the '60s for guys that didn't have a lot of money to get into uh, racing stock cars. And but it was an entry level uh, uh, type of uh, racing that uh, a lot of people branched into uh, Indy cars and Formula One and and snowmobile racing and and. Uh, Bud Bennett uh, was one of these guys living in, uh, you know, the Detroit area, big into karting, became real handy with two strokes and clutching, and then when the snowmobile scene exploded in the late 60s, uh, you know, he was one of these fellows that, uh, you know, was uh, drawn to it uh, like a magnet and uh, had some really great success in his early career uh, grass dragging. Um, in the late 60s, and, uh, and then in the early 70s, started oval racing and doing some cross country, primarily on RUP. And um, at that time, he was uh, he was he was of course he had a bit of a leg up on the average uh, private privateer uh, racer. If you weren't a factory rider, that was kind of how it went back in the day. Uh, um, a lot of the private uh, guys were still learning how to clutch their sleds and, you know, getting into tune pipes and megaphones and porting and carburation and all of that. And uh, so guys like Bud Bennett, who were uh, were uh, self-taught engineers, uh, real mechanically inclined, uh, good race drivers, uh, they had a real leg up on the competition. So Bud was quite a successful racer in the early 70s. And then by happen chance at a grass drag, he bumped into a fellow by the name of Bob Bracey. And Bob was uh, one of these real out-of-the-box thinkers, uh, big into, uh, had a lot of connections with uh, IndyCar and, and uh, Le Mans racing. Um, and, um, but anyways, um, uh, he, he kind of, uh, you know, saw something in Bud, and, and he asked Bud, uh, you know, would he mind, uh, would he, you know, would he, would he race one of his sleds the following year? And uh, so this was going into the 75 season, and uh, they came out with, uh, Bob Bracey had come out with the RB, the, uh, sorry, the RB Manta Twin Track. And uh, you'll see that on our site here, some pictures of this thing, but it was uh, a year after the Villeneuve Twin Tracker, and uh, Bob Bracey always had in the back of his mind a building that a snowmobile should be a twin track. He just couldn't get his head around a conventional snowmobile sitting on top of the tunnel, high center of gravity, tippy. Uh, he thought they were just outright dangerous, and he thought a snowmobile should be built like a race car. You sit in between the tracks, low center of gravity. And so for a guy like Bud Bennett, who had raced carts for quite a few years, jumping into one of these uh, uh, Manta twin tracks was, uh, you know, it was just a natural. 
And so they weren't as fancy as the Villeneuve. They didn't have IFS on the front end. They didn't have a differential so that the uh, inside track unloaded and uh, the outside track uh, was doing the driving. They came up with some unique ways of studying the track so they could drift these things around the, uh, the corners like a sprint car. And they actually had quite a bit of success. Again, they were, they were, you know, they were limited on horsepower. They were running Saks uh, uh, free air engines, so they were heavy. They made a lot of power, but uh, you know, they didn't have the, uh, the horsepower uh, that, the, uh, that the factory teams were running. But you know, once they had one of these things set up, studded right, and, uh, and if you had the courage to uh, hold it, uh, the throttle wide open, you could actually just run around the outside of the corner uh, with the RB and, and, uh, and really make up a lot of time and usually come out ahead out of the corner um, in front of all the higher-powered sleds. So Bud, uh, Bud ran the, uh, the Manta uh, in the 440X class, it was called. It was an experimental class and uh, had quite a bit of success, raced it up in Peterborough, raced it all on the OSRF circuit quite a bit, and then at the World Series, USSA, Eagle River, um, you know, they just could never get it to hold together to win the big race. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of races they led, uh, you know, the first few laps and had a big lead, and then, you know, something would break on them. But uh, um, this story with Bud is, uh, is a real uh, history uh, uh, lesson in early snowmobile racing, what it took to win. Um, it's, a great, it's a great lesson, uh, lots of interesting stories about uh, you know, other legends in the sport, his contact with them, um, getting a little insight into Bob Bracey. So uh, sit back and enjoy. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much, Hal, for that uh, for this interview uh, contributed by you and uh, um, your Time Machine articles. And this is going to be a great listen. So hope everybody likes it. Thanks. Okay. So what I want to get from from you is I, I guess there there was uh, you and uh, Dan Kurtz were like the factory Manta drivers at the time, right? Okay. I haven't been able to track down Dan. I've, I've called, but uh, haven't got any feedback. So uh, um, I got your name from uh, Mark, and he told me about your company. Um, it's at RM Motorsports? or Okay. So I just, you know, Googled it and found you and emailed you. So that's how I tracked you down. Wait, I've been right here, so it's okay. easy to find me. Okay, great. So I wanted to find out a little bit about yourself, how you hooked up with uh, uh, Bob. What Bob, what kind of guy he was like? Want to get uh, you know, some background on what kind of a, a person he was? You know the sleds, uh, um, how you guys did in racing. What were the positives? What were the negatives of the machines? Uh, and then ultimately, I guess after '76 season, I think he might have built a couple of machines in '77. But uh, I guess once this, the the uh, Polaris came out with the independent front suspension on the oval sleds. That was the next generation, and it it kind of whatever happened there. I mean, the company died, and then he resurrected it a few years later in uh, in the late '90s, early 2000s with the uh, trail roamer. He called it. Sure. Um, so yeah, I'll just get your take on on things. Well, I mean, uh, as far as Bob and I, Bob and I had known each other for quite some time. And I was, one time I, I started uh, my snowmobile career, started when uh, I had been racing go-karts for quite some time. Okay. So this is like in the early 70s or? Well, it was actually in the 60s. I, I, 
the 60s, uh, most of the sleds, other than uh, Ski-Doo, had industrial engines like the JLOs, CCWs, which were just uh, water pump engines, you know, commercial industrial engines. Yeah, yeah. Seventies or nineteen seventy. was telling me that uh, uh, um, there was Bob Bob Bracy and, and his partner. His name was uh, John Draw. Yeah, John. John was actually a, uh, an engineer, uh, uh, artist, blast uh, clay guy. Okay, so he was like a stylist kind of guy. So uh, Bob, he was the, the the engineer of this machine. He he could actually uh, he welded up the chassis, the tubular chassis. He actually built the prototypes, or no? A company called Carcraft, right? Yeah. That built the Ford uh, the Le Mans car, right? Prototype, and they were running it. 
every time you turned around, it was upside down or something. So what year was this? This was, this was the very first one, and it was, had to have been in probably 75. So this was the first, so this is after he's left uh, Manton, he started Arby. Okay, so he left Leisure Vehicles, and then uh, so I guess he owned Leisure Vehicles, and he sold it. I I, I was I, I was told that by Mark that uh, a company called Speedway Oil or Speedway Gas Company had was was kind of like a silent partner, and then once sales started growing, they 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 decided to to you know run the company themselves, and I guess he might have had a falling out with them or left or whatever. Bob had Bob didn't do well. They didn't play well together. Yeah, so he was. He wanted to. He, he wanted to be his own boss. Well, and, and I can tell you lots of stories about him. So he's a, a funny guy. Okay. But but anyhow, so they they were they had built this, and I was I was racing at that time, uh, rubs, and I was racing uh, nitros. Huh? The magnums. Uh, it was, actually that was even before the magnums, the Yankees. Some of the other ones. Oh, okay. So you used to race rock. Okay. Yeah, I, well, that was, that was kind of where I started. And, and there was a little company in the area called Stone Sport Marine. And uh, they were a rough dealer. And I, I got involved with building. Uh, he, was, he was kind of a, uh, he liked the fact that, that I could take a sled and make it faster than anybody else's because I understood how to align the things. You know, all, all the uh, technology was there it just wasn't very well executed okay don't get all the all the shields in line and the sprockets and you know just make the things right yeah which is pretty much the way it still is today with all these things everything equal you have to fix them so they're right mm-hmm. anyhow so we proceeded to do a lot of winning and just about everything and uh the local races started up in the winter time and i used to run Oh, by the way, my, my 
first racing was I was supposed to go, I was supposed to race with Rutmans. They, at that time, I mean, who Rutmans are. Rutmans? Yeah. Okay, no, I haven't heard of them. Well, Troy Rutman won the 8500. Okay. Okay. Joe Rutman. Yep, I know him, yep. Jim Rutman built many bikes. Okay, yep. And I was really good friends with them. And uh, uh, they were, at that time, that would have been about, uh, they were supposed to be, it must have been 68 or 69, they were the factory, going to be the factory Polaris team here in the state at Michigan. Michigan, okay. And we were supposed to go to Soldier's Field. Well, I was uh, out practicing on a brand spanking new Nordic, and uh, out on some trails that were less than groomed. Yeah. And I come up over a hill, and the handlebar come off in my hands. Oh boy. Because the bolt held it on the taper shaft, come loose, and I crashed the thing, totaled it, mm-hmm. put my kneecap into the joint. So that kind of put me out of commission for a while. Okay. Yeah, I did go to the soldier's field. But, uh, uh, so, that Bob had a couple of the races and watched this, watched this, uh, Twitchack sled, uh, diabolical. I mean, it, you didn't know when it was going to go upside down because it would, just, it was just not good. Anyhow, I, I, when we started talking to him, I said, yeah, you might try this, change this, change this. And it brought the sled to life. And became uh, uh, manageable. But you have to understand, Bob never had any money. Everything he did, he did uh, on a shoestring. Okay. Just, if people only knew how much he didn't have to do what he did, it was pretty incredible. So, so when you when you first her, uh, hooked up with uh, Bob, you met him at these races, He this was like when he still had leisure vehicles in. Well, no, he, he, he had, his shop was in uh, uh, Rochester. Okay. And uh, I had known him before that, but, uh, you know, I got to, I had known him, but I wasn't doing anything for him. And uh, after helping him, he says, well, you know, I'm going to put something together. And, uh, got Dan Kurtz. And, you know, I had known Danny because he was running some other sleds. Yeah. And uh, that's how that, how we, how we came to get involved. Uh, so, so uh, I'll just back up here a sec. So, when I was talking with Mark, he had got uh, he had got hired by uh, Bob in he said about September of uh, '73, and uh, and uh, Bob had uh, started up this uh, company RRB Products, and he got the exclusive uh, distributorship for Texas products uh, components like the chassis and skis and cleats yeah. and all that stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, so he said they uh, they loaded up a van and they headed up to Ironwood, Michigan for the first snow pro race in 74, you know, when snow pro first came out. Oh, yeah, I was and, and so he said they were up there and he said they were sitting on top of their van or whatever they had, 40 Conaline van, whatever they had. He said they were sitting up there watching the races on a couple of lawn chairs, and then the, he's seen uh, Villeneuve came out with his twin track, and he said he almost fell off the truck because this Villeneuve had, uh, you know, taken his twin tracker idea to the next level that he had always wanted to. 
So he said when they left there, he said, uh, Bob, uh, they started drawing up this, this first RV twin track sled, right? So then I guess uh, I guess that's when you guys came into the picture then, right? It's for the 75 season? Yeah, it could have been the very, yeah, it was probably the 75 season. So were you racing in 74 or you were, or you were not racing? I was, I was racing in 74. I, I raced uh, uh, rumps up at uh, Ironwood. Okay, so you weren't racing in the Snow Pro, you were just racing in the modified classes or stock and that. I was racing in the modified classes, yes. Okay, so you so you in the so the winter of seventy four while the Snow Pro season was going on, you're you're still racing ovals in the mod classes. And cross country. And cross country in that. Okay. Alright, so then okay, so sorry, so how did so Bob had built this this first uh twin track uh, Manta race sled. And then uh, this is when you came in. You seen it was not that stable. Had some issues. Yeah, they, because they were running a, ton, a lot of the races in the in the state that I was running. I was running uh, ran every every weekend. You know, in Michigan at that time, there was races everywhere. Okay. All right. So the. Uh, so the first, I got, I think I've, I've, I've got an old video of you racing this Manta up in uh, Peterborough. You and you and Dan Kurtz. In Peterborough, sure. Yeah, at the Kawartha Cup there, right? Yeah. Yep. I got an old video. It's not that great, but uh, I can give you a link to it if you want to watch it. It's pretty cool. But uh, I'd love to watch. Yeah, let's see some of your. Uh, uh, and you guys looked like you did pretty good at that race there too. I think. Very well. But, and the other thing people never realize who are running those uh, uh, SR Saks engines. Yeah, yeah. And that, that were not very good. And they would wear out. Uh, I mean, you really, after a weekend, you threw them away. Okay. Uh, but the reason we had those is because those were out of, uh, they were relics. And Bob was able to buy them pretty cheap. And they made pretty good power. Okay. And that's, that's why we had those engines. Okay, so 75 season, you ran the uh, the Saks Motors. So did you have, so tell me more about the sled. What was it like to drive? I, my question was, why didn't he put a differential in it so that the inside track could uh, freewheel? And... Well, we had talked about that, you know. I mean, uh, you know, this was a case of, uh, one, one of the things is, Bob used to call me busting butt. And I always told him, I said, Bob, if I can bust this thing going straight ahead, it's not good enough. I said, what we have to do is get it so that it's pretty much indestructible, mm -hmm. which is kind of what we did. We, we had it so, uh, we, we got the thing so it just, it would last and last and last and not, you know, we, we, once we got them sorted out, there was very few failures. Okay, so what was the big problems at the first? Uh, um, just, um, just, you know, little things with the track misalignment, you'd, slide over and cut the, the tunnels in half, and, you know, which was common with all the sleds at the time. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, we wound up, uh, you can always tell the, uh, the factory sleds because we wound up cutting holes in the, in the floor for your feet, dropping the floor down, you'll see a, a cut down, and the same thing in the back where the seat was because we dropped the seat down lower because to get the, the drivers lower. Okay. 
Richard P. getting underneath there. Good to these. So, yeah, just, there's just a lot of little things that we, we learned along the way to get uh, better. We, we wound up, when we went to Alaska, the things never had really good breaks. You know, they wouldn't, they just wouldn't hold up. And we wound up making some breaks that worked quite well on them. And after that, there was no problem. We had problems with uh, at the uh, at Ironwood, I guess it would have been in 76, in the World Trophy Race. Uh, I finished the World Trophy Race holding the body of the of the, of the cut of the sled on because uh, it had broken right out of the tub. And, uh, I don't know, I, I finished quite well in the World Trophy Race. That was uh, all fiberglass, uh, like cowling on it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the tunnel on these things, uh, I've only got a few pictures of these. I don't have a, I don't have a lot of great pictures, but uh, the uh, the drivetrain in the thing, I, I'm told originally they, maybe in 75, that was the case, or 76, that you didn't actually have a chain case. You were kind of just a, a sprocket from the jack shaft uh, with a fiberglass kind of, Guarding or whatever down to the uh, the drive shaft is that right? I'm just trying to think here. Like you've got one of these sleds, you said still, do you? Oh yeah. Like one of the original race sleds, or? Oh yeah, one of the original race. So what's what's it got for a drivetrain in it? Like what? Whose clutches in that did they use? It's, it was it's, it was it junk. Uh, was it all Comet clutches or? Yeah, the, the original device still got the the SR engine and the whole. Is yours all together? Yeah. Wow. Have you got photos of it? You could email me. Uh, you know, I'll have to take a look. In fact, it's funny because when I when I redid my sled, uh, we had we had done. If you ever see original Snow Pro uh, Manta, it was white. Yeah, white with a black with a gold. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that snorkel on the on the back was that for the uh, intake for the carbs? Yeah, we, well, it just it helped cool the engine because it was a free air engine. Oh, I see. Okay. And uh, I mean, we tried all kinds of things. We put scoops on the bottom of the the sled, you know, just uh, in an effort to keep the, that uh, engine cool. Was that a big problem with it? Okay, so you guys had a real job during the week, and then on the weekends you'd work for him or race for him. Right. Okay. Yeah, because he couldn't, he couldn't afford it. Yeah. And, and we knew that. Of course, I was a, I was a real believer in the twin track because I was a go kart racer, mm -hmm. and uh, enough. I've seen enough people get hurt that I said, you know, there's got to be a better way. Yeah. Although, although I, we went up to a, 
of those places. And a blinding snowstorm all night long. Oh my God. And got, the next day I got there and I was racing the, the twin track and I flipped it. I mean, it, it, it hooked an edge. Yeah. And it did a 360 in the air, come down on the skis. And in fact, that's when we started running shoulder belts because we were just running lap belts. And when the thing hit, I leaned, I fell forward and broke a couple ribs. Okay. Because we were, Bob had these, they were really heavy uh, metal flake looking bodies that were really stiff. So after that, we then said, well, you know, to eliminate this, we've got to uh, put, you know, put some shoulder belts in. And obviously the bodies are way too stiff. And if your body can hit it, we need to lighten them up. So we lighten them up considerably, which was a smart thing because they, they weren't so prone to break uh, tubs because the tub had just a little uh, sheet, a little bit of flange that a bolt went through that pinned the body on. Yeah, okay. But, so, so we, we found out that the, that, that could happen. It was one of the other things that we so the um, did they have a hydraulic brake in them or just a mechanical? Uh, they were hydraulic. And where where was the brake disc mounted? The brake disc was back on the uh, jack shaft. It's on the jack shaft with the secondary, so it's okay. And then I'm still there. Yep, I'm here. So it was on the uh, so the brake disc was mounted on the jack shaft, okay. And then okay, so. The machine's off the line. I guess it looked like watching this video, you were pretty well always last off the line. They weren't pretty much, yes. quick off the line. So going into a corner, I mean, would the inside track lift off the ground or unload, or how would you get around the corner? Well, actually, it, it was more about, uh, and the, the, the interesting thing was, where we got in the most trouble with these, these sleds, both Danny and I, because... The guys riding a standard sled uh, would have to lay down on the side. I mean, I remember laying my knee on the snow on the single trackers, yeah. you know, and trying to pull the sled down. Well, when you're in in the corner, it would run up, up, you know, up in the apex of the corner, slide up high, and then you'd, you'd get the sled to turn, and then you shoot off the corner of the, you know, like a, from the apex of the corner straight up to the center of the track. Well, our sleds... When, when the guy went in the corner, he'd go up wide. We'd, we could, we had the ability to drive right around the track. And what was happening is just about the time that guy that was in front of you, that is now behind you in the middle of the corner, hooks up, we've got the line. Mm -hmm. Here they come <laughs> flying up because they got a good bite. But we, we beat everyone in the corners with the sleds. So could you pretty well hold the throttle right down all the way around, or you'd have to kind oh, of... Oh, yeah. You, it, it would, and everything was about uh, understanding how to start the sled well enough to make it uh, hook up. Okay, so would you stud the inside track differently than the outside, or... Mm -hmm. So would you have, like, a different stud pattern on the... Like, you'd want more traction on the outside, the right-hand side track? Kind of what we did, right. So the inside track would kind of slide. It might just be... I guess you had cleats, but then you just have a few picks on it. Well, we were using, uh, you know, we were making those uh, tungsten carbide wedges. 
Yeah. still racing on snow for the most part, no? In most cases, right, where later on we got to racing more on ice. Yeah, yeah. See what I used to track where back at that time, you know, most, if we didn't, you know, we raced on lakes when we went to uh, Alaska and many of the, the places here, we raced on a lake. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so the, because the Skidoo Twin tracks, I mean, whenever that clutch didn't disengage the inside of the track, I mean, those things were going straight into the wall, right? Right. So I don't understand how these things could corner if they were, like, a, just a solid drive shaft. Like, why they just didn't want to go straight? Well, because we, we had a different balance front to rear. Uh, you know, the, these sleds had a little, uh, probably more than the, the twin track Skidoo's. Okay. That's one of the reasons they were so poor at getting off the line. So most of the so you weren't really sitting over the track then. Well, no, you're actually uh, almost in front of the track. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you got more weight on the front end on the skis. Mm-hmm. And uh, would when you cornered hard on these things, I mean, would the inside would would the thing try and high side itself, or would it stay pretty flat? No, it, it would. Right. Of course, the thing was is that you you did try to throttle steer it as long as you as long as you kept that track spinning at the speed you wanted it. It's kind of like it was like driving a, uh, a super modified or something like that where you throttle steer. Yeah. With the, 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 you know, the tires. So would it kind of slide like the back end around? You'd kind of slide the ass end around. And you got lots of grip on the front to. Yeah, exactly. You pivoted on the front. You're pivoting on the front. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So getting that balance of action and, and turning, that was, you know, that was part of the, uh, the principle of getting something to work like it should. What type of tracks? I mean, did you take this thing ever to Eagle River and try and qualify for the world championship, or you didn't have a 650 motor in them at the time? Well, we, we, didn't, we, we never ran anything uh, that big. In fact, I, Danny was running a, a, a 250 Yamaha, a liquid cool. That he was quite successful with. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was after I quit running those. Okay. And in fact, I also ran for Mercury Factory. So, you, in what seventy six? Uh, when they come up with the uh, snow twisters. Uh, the original competition. The original snow twister. The snow twister, yeah. In seventy four, the four the four hundred snow twister. Yeah. And just beat Whoa. everybody to death. Yeah, they were an awesome sled, yeah. And, and the thing was, is the, the, the snow twister, uh, that, was, that sled was designed by Lyle Forsgren. Yeah, that's and right. Lyle was... He used to be with Rupp, right? Yeah, and when he went to Mercury, he called me up and says, how about come and run for me? Because he and I, you know, we did stuff at Rupp together. Yeah. Five, six, 
championship uh, were up there. In the, I had, in fact, if you look at the records for the uh, for that year, yeah. uh, I broke both the the six hundred six fifty record, and it shows me driving a Manta. Uh, okay. The reality was I was driving a four hundred deluxe nose twister. Wow. <laughs> so I, I, I went through classes and broke the record on both of them. So, so you were running Mantas in 75, so I, okay, so that was in 74, but then for, for two years, 75 and 76, you just raced the Mantas. Yeah. Okay. So um, did you guys run any of these things on uh, any of the Michigan endurance races, like the Sioux I-500, go up there, or no? No, we didn't, and the, and the reason was, is, is, you know, it's like, you can only, you can only do so many things. Yeah. They wouldn't last, eh? You were wasting your time. Yeah. Uh, there's no question that the sled would not have made a very good endurance sled with a little bit of pre-planning. But my my interest was always in the sprint races. Yeah. They had... Uh, um, so the monocoques, the actual uh, aluminum monocoque in this thing, uh, were they were all built by this Texas Industries, right? So what happened to them? You know, I don't know. I don't know. They were making a lot of the uh, uh, Thunderjet and the Articat chassis, and yeah, and then uh, they seem to kind of just—I don't know if they got out of snowmobiles or they—they they went under or what. Yeah, I, I don't know. And, and my my last year's racing sled was when uh, Jimmy Adelman got killed and Sessions got killed. And, was so when he had the Manta company then okay so he was he was making most of his money then selling uh, these this Texas products uh, aftermarket stuff I guess yes that's when he was still in Rochester Rochester Michigan okay yeah and and these Manta sleds any idea how many of these race sleds he built boy you know I don't I mean did you work on fabricating these things at all or do you have like a group of guys that built them I I helped him when he was shipping Okay. No, he did, I, I don't think he made that many of the uh, Manta Twin Tracks. Yeah, yeah. 
So the last year he built them, any idea? Like the, the race sled? You know, I think Danny uh, would know. You know, you could, you know, his, Bob's wife is still around, Carol. Right. And you could probably still get, in fact, I know I can get her a number for you. Oh, that'd be great. I'd like to know where he got the name Manta from. Like, where'd that come from? I don't know. You know? Or, uh, or Arby. What did that stand for? I heard that something started, stood for something Robert Bracey, but. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind talking to his wife if she's okay with I'll me, get her number. with me calling her. Yeah, Carol is very nice, and she she'll know most of that stuff. That history, yeah. Because she's uh, you know she did all the books at that time. Yeah. And she would certainly know uh, more more details. I I was young, fired up, and racing, and that's all I cared about. Yeah. Dan and I both we weren't. Uh, we only cared what was going to happen next weekend. Yeah. So, like, so you guys were in your 20s, I guess, when you were racing these things. Mm-hmm. And, like, how old a guy was he then at the time? Uh, Bob? Yeah. Bob was probably, I'm going to say, he was only, like, 5'11", 5'12", maybe. Oh, okay, so he's... Yeah. Okay, so he's... Bob probably right now would, I think, be about 72, 74, maybe. So what was his dream? I mean, he, it seemed like every time he would, he, he, like this company, like Leisure Vehicles, he left that, started this Manta company. I, I, I think it ran for, what, three or four years? And then he kind of disappeared. And then, then he came back in the 80s. It seemed right when it was really bad economic times. You know, Articat went under 81. And all of a sudden, he's got this trail roamer out. And then I think that lasted maybe a couple of years. It died again, and then ten years later, he he shows up again with with uh, you know a real fancy independent swing arm front end sled, uh, you know stereo system, everything in it, right? Well, I tell you, he, he was he was he was he was always creative, but, and I think if, if Bob was rich, he'd have had a great great time. Every time, I mean, he was Bob was a worker. He he worked. get the money to go up to Alaska if he was like going payday to payday
any patents or anything on these sleds, eh? Picture here looks probably, I'm thinking 76, uh, or maybe it was 77. Maybe that's when you stepped away, like a liquid, liquid cooled version of it, motor in it. I think he was using oh, some. So you left uh, uh, sleds, and then you went into uh, this this car company. You got I was looking at your website. Let's do you import like old race cars and sell them? cars or everything everything from formula one to gtp to uh cobras to uh, anything any kind of car like you've got this uh your website you got this it shows a ferrari a 95 ferrari of uh, a 412 where, where the hell would you buy that from I mean, just to get that thing started, I mean... Uh, well, again, that's, 
So do, where, do you buy these from collectors over in Europe or right from the Ferrari factory? Or? So a guy comes to you, he wants to buy this Ferrari off you. Uh, <laughs> is, he, is he just parking it in a garage at his house somewhere? Or, I mean, where are you going to run this thing? Yeah, but he, he takes it. You trailer it down to wherever he is. And he just, I guess he, they, some of these guys just have big shops. They just have these things on display. Yeah, I mean, it's a good. Some of these things are a good investment. I, I, I I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> well, better than putting your money in stocks or maybe real estate in the states. Anyways, wow. Still, do you still snowmobile in the winter or no? Uh, I still have a couple of that I, I leave them for my uh, granddaughters to ride around. But uh, I'm, I'm really much more about getting on a fifty-five sport fishing boat down to the Bahamas where it's warm. Okay, okay. So the snowmobile things left. Okay, so. Um, your sled is it is it accessible where you could take some photos of it to email me uh, that I could put in this story? Okay. Have you what have you got for old photos from a photo album of you racing these things back in the day? Anything like that? Uh, I do have some. 
So you, you, do you have a scanner? You could scan them and send them. They they gotta be. Or email them. They gotta be fair. They gotta be fairly high res to go in the magazine for you know if they're blurry looking they won't they won't use them right. Well, I know that. I, but I even if you go. Yeah. Steve's trying to put a, together a book, I guess, on Bob and on Bob, yeah. and the whole com company. So yeah, he, he's been trying to get me to do a This was their Tahatsu motor or a, or a Hearth or something? It was a Tahatsu. Yeah, really, yeah. did a story on the Rupp Magnums a few years ago and I got a hold of some really interesting guys and one guy you may remember his name is Jim Thornton I remember Jim very well and he worked for I guess Chrysler back in the Hemi days and all that I think he it was, was the church. yeah yeah he was a really cool guy to talk to Top speed would they get down the straightaways like the 440? We... Well, I mean, the, the, the reality is once you got going. I mean, you had lots of ex exit speed out of the corner more than the other guys, right? Suspensions and these things, they were built by Texas Industries too? Yeah, so you were running, uh, what, what were the widths on the tracks on these things, do you remember? So eight-inch uh, tracks. So you guys would make your own tracks. Like nobody's selling these little narrow tracks back in the day. Well, they, all they were is 
They were belts, right? So yeah, they were just belts, and then we were using titanium uh, cleats, like Polaris cleats at that time. Mm -hmm. And we were making those right in Rochester uh, and punching them and you know putting putting the tracks together. So now, after I guess you were long gone, but when Bob later on he hooked up with uh, Brad Hewlings and Dave Carpick. Right. Um, did you ever meet those guys, Brad Hewlings and them, or? Uh, Yeah. Okay. But it, again, at that time, I had, I had, I had moved on to, you know, I was racing stock cars. Okay. All kinds of other little things that. Yeah. When it when it come to come to racing, uh, if I won a couple championships, I would move on to something else. Okay. So you get bored of it. Okay. Well, you know, it's just you know, you you have to if you like to race. Yeah. And, and you you set a goal. Once you achieve that goal, what else do you do? Yeah. So what's your favorite racing you watch these days? Um, I, I, these days I, I like driving the, I, I love the big block Can-Am cars. So um, those old, the old Can-Am cars, they used to run, uh, I used to go to Brainerd and watch them run. Yeah. Like the, and I went to Brainerd one year, I think it was the late 70s, Patrick Tambay was running one of them. It had like a ground effects, it was a Lola and everything. Yeah, it was a beautiful car. I've got a picture of it. Like it's, oh, it was really nice. Boy, could that thing ever go? Oh yeah, yeah, they're they're great. I always like. I had a uh, twin uh, twin turbo shadow. So have you run these things up at Mossport? Oh yeah. Really? Wow. Like in a vintage class now. In a vintage class, yeah. Is that right, eh? Yeah, great fun. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> great fun. How many employees have you got? Really, eh? Wow. Have you gone to many, like, have you gone to a lot of, like, the any of the big Formula One races in Europe or anything? Or? No, racing is not a spectator sport for me. Oh, you'd rather participate, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We've, yeah. we've had, uh, we've taken Canyon cars and things like that and gone to Europe and uh, raced over in the Czech Republic. Really? Nuremberg wow. Ring. Yeah. We've run just about everywhere here in the United States. Wow, so I'm lucky to get a hold of you because you're you must be this has got to be your this will be your slow time of the year because after that you're you're gone traveling then. Well, our slow time this week I've been out testing twice. Uh, what track do you test at? Uh, we were at a little track called Gingerman. Uh -huh. Over by New Haven towards Chicago. So where are you located right now? Uh, we're just uh, outside of Detroit. Okay. So you're making a good living out of this then now? I don't know. It depends on what you call a good living. We're, you know, we, I'm able to have a uh, family and I have my two sons that work with me. Yeah. And uh, we, we're not, 
great time. Yeah. And my, my sons and I uh, raced the vintage go-karts, twin-engine go-karts. They all road tax motors in those? What engines did they use? Uh, we used McCullers and uh, Italian-built IEM engines, the B-bombs. Okay. That concludes the show for today. I want to thank uh, Bud Bennett and Hal Armstrong for uh, conducting that interview. Uh, uh, it, the show uh, ended a little abruptly, but uh, the boys got off topic in their conversation. And uh, I think those uh, those two could have uh, gone on for uh, another hour uh, talking about uh, things. Uh, as you can see, uh, Hal uh, knows his stuff pretty good. Uh, he's uh, uh, researches the, these uh, vintage sleds and the, the drivers that uh, race them uh, quite a bit. So um, uh, you'd be surprised how, how much uh, Hal Armstrong uh, knows about uh, these vintage sleds. And he's very passionate about them. So uh, these uh, interviews that he conducted uh, are, are gold, in my opinion. Uh, they uh, bring back the history. So uh, thanks for Hal for that. And uh, you can see some more of uh, Hal's uh, work at... Uh, on uh, Snow Bear Television and also his uh, magazine articles in Snowblower Canada magazine uh, and his articles are called Time Machines and uh, he's got uh, quite a few uh, articles uh, in there so you might want to check the uh, the archives uh, uh, for those uh, uh, interviews. Um, so uh, coming up we got another legendary uh, snowmobile uh, coming up, a uh, legendary racer uh, uh, Love talking to this guy. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of this guy coming up. So uh, I'll uh, reveal more of that uh, in the next uh, week or so. But uh, really looking forward to uh, to talking and uh, in person this time. This uh, we're going to conduct this interview in person, um, as he has uh, quite a collection uh, that I also want to see. So uh, that'll be coming up in the next uh, week, uh, week and a half or so. So until that, this is uh, Gorda Van, host of Snowmobiling Podcast and Hal Armstrong and um, you can contact uh, me at uh, snowmobilingpodcast at gmail.com uh, all our shows are on the snowmobiling, uh, snowmobiling podcast Facebook page uh, so all the shows are on there uh, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes under the snowmobiling podcast and also I have a new player which uh, everybody seems to like uh, it's uh, called SoundCloud uh, you can get that app uh, for your uh, for your uh, tablet, your smartphone, your uh, your computer, uh, and it's a really easy uh, uh, platform to listen to these on the go. You can download them right to your smart device and uh, play them on your uh, vehicle stereo system. So uh, that's a really nice uh, platform. So until the next show, this is Gorda Van from the Snowmobile Podcast.